0: Well, the title of our teaching today is Yikes, My Beliefs Are Changing. Of all the changes that we go through, changing our beliefs can be one of the most traumatic. When I think of the title, Yikes, My Beliefs Are Changing, I think of uh, the Wicked Witch of uh, the Wizard of Oz's words and what she said. Do you remember her? How can we miss her? The scene is found toward the end of the film, And the witch tries to set fire to Scarecrow, and Dorothy uh, throws a bucket of water to put the fire out, and some of that water splashes onto the wicked witch, at which point she begins to disintegrate. And the witch says, you perfect brat, look what you've done, I'm melting, I'm melting. It's complete with the hissing steam and the shrieks, and the witch decomposes. She is no more. Ding dong, the witch is dead. Well, over the years, some of my beliefs have melted. And when looking at some of my long-held beliefs that no longer ring true, I felt, yikes, my beliefs are changing. Sometimes we don't like to admit that our Beliefs change, whether they are Christian beliefs or another religion or political beliefs or whatever, and because of the nature of my life, I'm going to just limit that to our spiritual beliefs today. But when our Christian beliefs change, it makes us feel like our, the very foundation that we're standing on is shaky. Shaky. We worry that other Christians are going to judge us and think less of us when we begin to doubt the things that other people seem just dead certain about. But maybe, could it be that our theology, our spiritual understanding really should change over time? The only way our understanding of God would never change is if We started out with a perfect understanding of God. And the only one who understands God perfectly is God. And so to have our understanding of God change and our theology change, the study of God change, makes sense. So what do you do when your beliefs change? And maybe we should ask, what do we do if our beliefs don't change? Tim Keller is one of my favorite authors. He's a very conservative man, very conservative pastor. And uh, he said this on a podcast of, uh, where he was interviewed on the Deconstructionist podcast. If you have not changed your beliefs in the last six years, you haven't grown. That's quite a statement to me. Well, the venues exist today because my beliefs changed. The catalyst for start of this community of questioners, doubters, lovers of God, lovers of people, was the changing of beliefs. Over the last 18 years, 20 years, I've experienced a change in beliefs about the Bible, politics... Hell, atonement, salvation, women, science, race, LGBTQ, biblical violence, prayer, sex and purity, culture, parenting are just a few of the changes. What have you changed in the last five years, 20 years? You want to add to my list? Just shout it out. Or not. But think about it anyway. Changing these beliefs was not always easy. Some of them were. But some people have a real difficult time with changing their beliefs. I get that. Here are some stories. See if you have a me too moment with these stories. I feel terrified and my initial inclination was that my questions may lead me straight to... To hell. I was certain that I was on the path of Satan. There's even a cartoon about that. This person is leaving. And what you see when you de- deconstruct, you're just having questions and asking the questions. Everybody has questions, it's only those people who are actually uh, asking them who are deconstructing. But when we leave, what people see is us being carried off into the abyss. By Satan, This person says this, I felt the terror of letting firm foundations go. It's very hard to release ideas that form your basic beliefs about the world, which are also held by your friends, family, and community. Gosh, when you leave those beliefs, you feel like you're leaving. And sometimes uh, you do leave your friends, family, and community, or they leave you. Let's go on. Sometimes deconstructing can be freeing. It was liberating to learn that there were other ways to interpret the biblical passage and cultural practices that I was barely tolerating just to maintain relationships. I felt like I was free to fully love the LGBTQ plus community and people of other faiths and no faiths, with no agenda. I had been wanting to forever, but always felt held back by the rules. Now, I am so much more comfortable with uncertainty, totally enamored by mystery. I am so, one of the biggest thrills of my life was to not feel judged by myself when I was uncertain. Especially as a pastor because I'm supposed to know everything. And when I began to have uncertainties and then be okay with that, it was so freeing. And this person says, and am much more loving and kind to people as I don't see every relationship I have as a means to an end, aka how to get this person saved. Isn't that the truth? This person says, pre-deconstruction, I would occasionally get a sinking feeling when I encountered evidence that contradicted my beliefs, but not anymore. So you might have, okay, Philip, that's great. That these individuals are experiencing deconstruction, but here's a question. Do any people in scripture go through deconstruction? I'm glad you asked that question. And the answer is yes. Consider the words of Jesus. You have heard it said, dot, 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 dot. But I say to you, dot, 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 dot. Jesus was deconstructing. You've heard this all of your life. You were taught this. But now I'm deconstructing that. I'm reconstructing with this teaching. But now I say this. Oh, gosh, Jesus was quite the deconstructionist. He was always surprising people, even shocking people, leading them to questions, to question what they believed, turning their theologies upside down and challenging their view of and their beliefs about God. Truly what made Jesus different from all the other rabbis is what got him killed. Deconstruction can be painful. And then consider the experience of Peter. You find that story in chapter 10 of the book of Acts. Peter had a vision of a tablecloth filled with all of these animals that the Levitical law had prohibited Peter and other uh, law-following Jews from eating. And he saw this big tablecloth, all these animals containing these unclean uh, animals, And then he heard a voice from God that said, bon appetit. And Peter said, no way. God repeated himself. Peter repeated, God repeated, Peter repeated. And he went back and forth this three times. Peter was confused. Here was a voice of God saying one thing. And here was Peter's scripture saying another thing. And what those two things were absolutely contradicted each other. No wonder Peter was confused. Why in the world would God cancel a command that he had given to the ancient Israelites to follow? Don't eat these things. But now God is saying, eat these things. Peter went through some deconstruction. He went through a deconstruction about Scripture. What or who is going to be the authority of my life? Am I going to let words on a page be the authority of my life? That's how I was taught. That's what Peter was taught. But now then, there was a voice from heaven contradicting the words on the page. That's a major deconstruction. But Peter also went through a deconstruction about how to see others, because this experience was not just about unclean animals. It was about people that Peter and his culture had also labeled as unclean. Really, it was anybody that was not of the Jewish faith. And so God brought a guy named Cornelius to the house, knocked on the door, and Cornelius had a, sign on his forehead says, hey, I'm a Gentile. Peter made the connection, Gentile food. Unclean food, God said it's okay to eat it. Unclean person, okay, I get it. God, you're telling me that Cornelius and all the others are not unclean. So Peter summed it up. Do yourselves know that it is improper for a Jew to associate with or to visit an outsider, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. Major deconstruction. I discovered in my journey of deconstruction that as I deconstructed my theology about who I thought God was, I also deconstructed my view of who I thought people were. There were entire groups of people that I had labeled profane and unclean. And those two areas of deconstruction all just beautifully harmonized with each other. Here's where I stand today I don't understand the whole process. Well, I'm I'm always going to be deconstructing. But deconstructing for me anyway has returned my heart to the primary calling of love. People are not deconstructing because they want the preacher to preach a theology that, as Paul says, tickles their ears. No, I think people are deconstructing because the beliefs of their past or of their present now that they're deconstructing had no room for love. Hmm. They are deconstructing because their church had forgotten the primary message of Jesus to love God, love others, to love yourself. So my process of deconstruction was basically, I'm going to get rid of everything that doesn't look like love. Let's just see where that goes. And so the tools of my deconstruction were basically things like, I burned some things, I erased some things, I cut out some things, I threw some things in the trash, and I just whited out some things. And those are my favorite tools of theology right there. So, where I am today compared to where I was 20 years ago, maybe even 15 years ago, is what stands at the center of my beliefs. So I was taught what stood at the center of my belief was Scripture. But where I am today is that what stands at the center of my belief and everything orbits around that is really love. It's not, well, I believe this or I believe that. And it's not, well, I don't do that. Really, Christianity as a kid was a list of all the things you don't do. And it's not following these rules or following this guideline for life. It really is centered on love. And it's centered on, do I see the oneness of all things? And do I look at everybody? And see within them the Christ. All right, Philip. You sound a little bit dangerous. I'm a little skeptical right now. You sound kind of liberal to me. When dad died, I inherited most of his library. Uh, we donated majority of it and I took back, took the rest and so I had every book of his in my lab- library and then a few months ago I went through my entire library and just to uh, determine what I want to keep on the shelf and what do I want to put in a box to be donated, and I saw one of dad's books, it was called The Christian Religion in Its Doctrinal Expression, it is a page turner. <laughs> the copyright was 1917 dad's copy was 1959 and had been revised for uh, uh, several times author you can see there is E.Y. Mullins and I've got that book under my seat I forgot to bring it up here but I just treasure that book uh, but mostly because it's dad's book but Dr. E.Y. Mullins was the president of Southern Seminary. It was the first Southern Baptist seminary. It's uh, in Louisville, Kentucky. And this is way back in in the teens, 1917. And in that book, this systematic theology book that he made a textbook for seminary students, I found this statement. The latest word in theology can never be the last. Now, I grew up with the impression that whatever the preacher said concerning God or anything theological was the last word. It was final. Put a period at it. Take it to the bank. Then I read this. The latest word is not the last word. I was taught that once it was said or taught, then you were to close your mind to any other thoughts. That was the final thing. So if Dr. Mullins, this Southern Baptist professor from Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, is right, then there's always something else to learn. And that the truth is a lot bigger than I am. No one has it figured out, especially me. And it means I could be wrong about everything I'm telling you all. and it means that deconstruction and reconstruction are absolutely essential to growth. You know, when someone tears down a house the goal is to build something better. When someone tears up a road, you hope that the city is going to make a better road, make get rid of the potholes. The one thing I wish Springfield City would do. When I go home from church, to my house on the east side of 65 and go down Battlefield, have you noticed that these maintenance hole covers are right in line with your tires? I mean, I will preach a great sermon every Sunday. And on my way home, Denise and I in the car, damn it, every time I hit that thing. That's clean. That wasn't one of the clean things I say. <laughs> and Denise tells me, Philip, you keep swerving. You're going to get arrested for being drunk. I'm just trying to miss those covers. That's really what I wanted to say today. That's, I just want to get that <laughs> off my chest. But the idea of you deconstruct a road to make a better road without any maintenance hole covers right in the middle where your tires hit. Same is true with faith deconstruction. You hope you build something better. Deconstruction was a process, and it still is a process, as I still do it, of helping me sort out what is loving about my religion, my faith, and what is not loving. It it helps me, what do I put back on the shelf about my faith, about my theology? and what do I throw away in the box? Does the structure that I'm building look like Jesus? Does it look like love and kindness, forgiveness and inclusion? Is the structure that I'm building big enough to include the entire universe? because my faith before was only big enough for people in my denomination. Does my faith now Expand enough to include the entire universe. And if it's not, if my reconstruction process does not look like Jesus, if it's not shaped by the teaching of Jesus, well, then I need, there's some deconstruction that I need to do. And I'll never get it right. One more statement from Dr. Mullins. Theology is like any other science in the fact that it is alive. It grows A good scientist will recognize that they're not committed to the facts. They're committed to the process of discovering and of learning. And if a new discovery, if a new bit of information that they have acquired contradicts a previously held fact, then a good scientist is going to let go of that previously held fact because the evidence dictates. The evidence shows it was wrong. Dr. Mullins, thank you, Dr. Mullins. You teach me that theology is to be approached just like any other science. And so I need to reconstruct when new information tells me that my old beliefs were wrong. So maybe if I'm not deconstructing, if I'm not reconstructing, I'm not growing. And if I'm not growing, I'm really not living. Two books that have really helped me deconstruct. My totally favorite is Falling Upward by Richard Rohr. You're not surprised by that. My gosh, it's good. We're doing a small group right now. I think they meet on Sundays by another author I love, Brian McLaren, called uh, Faith After Doubt. I don't have a picture of that, but there are some books out on the lobby desk from... Father roars falling upward. Yes, transformation is often more about unlearning than learning, which is why the religious traditions call it conversion or repentance. Tomorrow is one of my favorite days of the year when our country unites to remember the benefit, the life of, and the power of the message and to continue the message and the work of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., In a sermon that he preached back in the 50s, Dr. King said, The soft-minded man always fears change. He feels security in the status quo, and he is on almost morbid fear of the new. For him, the greatest pain is the pain of a new idea.